This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the top slugging percentage among pitchers this year, or the over-under on runs scored between the Orioles and Nationals, this is not the place. But if you're looking for penalties, provisions, and particular pending peccadilloes of the pastime, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And today we are going to talk about rules, 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 and all the changes in baseball. Welcome to Bad Hops. Are you a rule follower, Mark? I'm a rule maker. A rule maker. Do, are, do you believe rules were made to be broken? Yes. I'm a heartbreaker and a rule maker and a love taker. And sometimes. a love taker. Yeah. Well, yeah. you are a love taker, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> yeah. Rules, man. It's, Lots uh, of rules. We were talking about earlier is how difficult it was for you and I to find all the different rule changes for this season and the next couple of seasons. We were like cherry picking. It wasn't, there wasn't like a compendium. No one gave us the official MLB press release for all the rule changes. Because there's not an MLB official press release. And if you go to the MLB site, they only list a few of the rule changes that are already in place for this season. Why is it a secret? I call conspiracy, like I usually do. <laughs> it's a secret. Yeah, I don't know why it's a secret. Some of these we had heard were, were coming. There had been rumors that a few of these were in the works. It's been talked about for a couple of seasons now, what may or may not happen. And then when the CBA, when everything, the lockout ended and things got finalized, you would have think there would have been a press conference to go over some of these. <laughs> And I believe that it is as simple as they turn their term paper in late, mm -hmm. right? They, in fact, because the season started late because they couldn't get their homework done, which was actually to work out a labor agreement. They just crammed in a bunch of stuff near the end. And it's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's also a whole lot of different rules this season. Anyway, have fun. The first pitch of the first game starts now. There are a lot of changes that we're going to be looking at in, in baseball. And some of them are, are massive. Some of them are really, I would say, a game changer because the face of the game in 2022 is way different than it ever was. Now, I don't know if you knew this, and it's kind of awkward if you don't, but there's some new rules for this podcast as well. I think and you mentioned that. Yeah, I did mention that. Some of them. We'll see if I can surprise you with some of them. Mm -hmm. I get to make unlimited puns for the first 30 minutes of every episode. I, I thought that rule had been implemented from the beginning. Well, now it's law. Now it's official. Now it's not an unwritten rule. It's yeah. an actual rule. Okay. And I get paid Spotify level money for that. So I get 0.0023 cents for each pun that I make. Trust me, I'm going to work hard for that penny every episode. All right. The other rule, now I probably didn't tell you about this, mm -hmm. but effective immediately, you can't talk about the Yankees anymore. Well, then I'm sorry. I'm out. <laughs> Taking off the headphones. I'm out. Welcome to Bad Hops, where we discuss the 29 teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, we also actually we don't talk about the Diamondbacks because there's just no point. Not right now. Not right we, don't, now. we only talk about the Cardinals. Well, there's a it's not a new rule for us talking about the Cardinals. But if you say the St. Louis Cardinals. Then Best fans in all of baseball. That's right. That is the official name of the team now. The St. Louis Cardinals Best Fans in Baseball, TM. 
Mm-hmm. I think it might, it could be TM for all I know. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to pause this recording and I'm just going to go ahead and trademark that. And I'm going to make a ton of money off of some uh, Missourians. All right. Oh, well, we'll see. I don't know if they're good for it or not. I think in St. Louis, they've, they've got box. They do. Any rules on your end that I need to know about? Because I, I think we often, we sometimes collaborate, but then we often just kind of do whatever we want to trip up the other person. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I'm implementing a designated podcast uh, host. So I will not be doing the middle innings. There will be a designated host that will take over for me. And I think it's actually going to be my cat, Gracie. So get ready. Okay. She likes watching sports. When the players are, are up, she likes hunting the baseball bat. When the baseball bat is moving, she will do that. She will also follow the ball. So, you know, she does She does enjoy a game. I think courting the cat demographic is a smart move, personally. So I, I welcome our new feline overlord. As well you should. If I think of any more rules along the way, I will interrupt you mid-sentence. Okay. And tell you that you can't do that anymore. Until then, we have a little thing called What's New in 22? We do. And there's a fair amount that's new in 22. Where do you want to start? Because Well, there's... let's let's start with why, first okay. of all. Okay, that's, like, that's a good thing. Set it up. Yeah. Why this is happening. Like, why are you doing this to us? Was the, the question I really want answered why? first and foremost. One of the big issues driving the current changes was the the CBA, as you mentioned earlier, the collective bargaining agreement between the mm-hmm. players union and the league, which essentially meant we didn't have an off season of fun and speculation. We just had this sort of miserable off season of will there be baseball? And there were quite a few times, even in February, where I think we were looking, well, maybe a half season. And we didn't really know what was going on because neither side seemed to be negotiating. Owners wanted more things. Players wanted more things. That's obviously, I don't need to explain to everybody that that's what a labor agreement involves. But a lot of it was weird in-game sort of stuff rather than just simple contract negotiations. So that was a huge driver of Mm -hmm. things. The CBA does have a lot of effective immediately stuff. Yep. And then there's a lot of things we'll we'll talk about uh, what you might see in 23. We got theme songs for all of this stuff. We do. And 23's got some interesting stuff happening as well. Like there's there are some things here that we're going to talk about that obviously people know about that because they watch baseball, but 2023 has a, some surprises in there. Well, I don't know if there're surprises. Actually, I shouldn't say there're surprises, but it's definitely going to change the game. The thing that really surprised me and I found this in a Washington Post analysis of the collective bargaining agreement changes to baseball's on-field product. What a what a beautiful phrase! Baseball's on-field product. I bet you're old enough to remember they used to just call that a game. Well, doesn't that make you want to watch when you say yes. on-field product? It's like, come on, kids, don't you want to get into baseball? Check out our on-field product. You lousy bums, I have paid good units of production. Cryptocurrency. I've traded NFTs. (laughs) To view this on-field product that I deem unsatisfactory, you losers. We digress. 
So maybe there should be a rule about that. Of course, we if we actually block digressions, there's no more bad hops. I don't think there's any podcast. Have you? I mean, the, most podcasts that I listen to, people digress. I mean, Jackie, we still haven't solved the murder. We still haven't. Many of you don't even know what murder we're talking about because neither do we. Anyway, I'm going to go back to this Washington Post thing because I think this is really important. And I think okay. if you want to suspect foul play, there's some foul play potentially buried in here. Mm-hmm. Changes to baseball's on-field product can now be made with 45 days notice after a vote by a committee comprising management officials, players, and an umpire. Previously, MLB could unilaterally change its on-field rules by giving players one year's notice. So essentially, 45 days notice, and it's the league, it's the players, and one umpire can agree to change the rules of baseball midseason. That's kind of messed up. That is kind of messed up. Is I, I just hope that one umpire is not going to be Joe West. That's all I'm going to say. It's Angel Hernandez. Oh, even better. Well, he will not be able to attend the meeting because he can't find it. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. But that's really weird to think that it right now it is May. Mm-hmm. We are still a long way from the postseason. But at some point around the time of the trade deadline, which is also changed. Which is also going to, yeah. The league and players and an umpire can decide, oh, yeah, well, we're not going to have this rule in place anymore, which could materially impact the hunt for the batting title. It could mm-hmm. impact a team that is struggling with a lot of injuries. Who knows? I think they're flirting with disaster. Now, can you get all of those groups to agree on making a change? Probably not. That would be my guess. It's because of that umpire, the one umpire. The, oh, definitely the one umpire is going to make the difference. Not that the players and management officials wouldn't want to just hang out and and create all sorts of new rules, but that is a really weird, unsettling, do what you like. So why do you think they decided to put that in there? One of the reasons that all these rules are coming out is because the game is not getting the viewership, the attendance that it should. And the last time baseball made so many rule changes was back in the 70s when they also had an attendance problem. So this is the reason why this is happening. Baseball needs to address that, yeah, it's time to adjust things. We need to do things to attract a greater audience. Do you think that maybe this is why they're saying that instead of having to go through the whole rigmarole of off-season, let's talk about it for a million years, maybe they want to be able to very speedily address something? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Like, Do we think that that would be why they would do something like that? I suspect that's a big part of it. I think there is another underlying reason that some of the rules have changed, and that is to protect players in this weird, uncertain health environment. A lot of rules were altered because of COVID, because of the fact that the minor league system collapsed in 2020. It was Mm -hmm. harder to pull in players. It was harder to put somebody on the injured list and be able to call somebody up. There is that aspect, but I think you're right. It, I would say 80 to 90% of these changes, dare I say, the on-field product, the OFP. <laughs> the OFP, an NFT of the OFP. Yes. Put that in your blockchain. And especially as we go into 2023, there's a lot of stuff about the razzmatazz of baseball, mm-hmm. which is good and bad you're a purist, it's like, why did they change that? But also, if no one ever goes to a baseball game because it's boring, purists can 
sit back and reflect on what it used to be like when people still had baseball. Indeed. And I mean, and the game does change. It's not like it has stayed the same since the 1800s. And I know, Mark, you, you love the, the 1800s period of baseball. Well, that reminds me of a story. <laughs> But I will tell at a later time. Uh, but I, in general, people hate change. We know this. We've seen this in our own lives. We've seen this personally. I, you see this at work all the time. If something happens, you know, restructuring, new, new whatever, people flip out immediately. It's not the same. It was better before. But was it? Was it really? We're going to discuss it if we think these rules are good or not. For me, just a little spoiler alert, I think most of these rules are for the better. I think it, it, it will help the on-field product. I think it will help the game. Some I'm skeptical of, but that doesn't mean that I can't be wrong. I do appreciate the fact that they're addressing some of the, they, they recognize that baseball needs to attract a younger audience, that it has to evolve the way other sports have evolved. So I do appreciate that they're trying to do that. That means that along the way, you will, purists are going to whine and bitch and moan about it. But you know what? In a couple of months, they'll forget it just like everything else. I mean, they'll, they'll forget it. You know what? Like the hard slides into, into home plate. Everyone, oh, they're getting soft just because, you know, Buster Posey, you know, almost died. Like, what? Well, uh, yeah, he's not tough enough. No one even thinks about it anymore. No one even thinks about it. And whining, bitching, and moaning creates traction. And it keeps mm -hmm. people thinking about baseball, talking about exactly. baseball. So there's a little bit of off-field product to think about there, too. If That's you really want to monetize this whole sporting affair. Should we talk about the player that perhaps more greatly impacted by this big rule change than anyone else? And of course, I'm talking about Kendall Graveman. Of course, good old Kendall Graveman. And you may say, who is Kendall Graveman? <laughs> Kendall Graveman, he's going to the Hall of Fame because Kendall Graveman, the, the, the great goth relief pitcher, I wish he was a goth relief pitcher, but he, he is not. Kendall Graveman was the last pitcher to have an at-bat in Major League Baseball. Because we now have a universal designated hitter. A universal DH? They've ruined it. They've ruined the strategy. Oh, my God, I hate the game. <laughs> I'm out of here. As soon as I pour this 40 ounce on the curb to, for my dead homies, the pitchers that hit. Totally. I hate the designated hitter because I like the imbalance of a pitcher trying to hit. I think it's fun. I think it's boring as hell. There is nothing that will get me out of my seat faster than when the pitcher is coming up and you just, the, the inning's over. The inning is over. If you're lucky, they'll lay down a good bunt. Occasionally, you'll get like a Madison Bumgarner, someone who can actually hit. Doesn't really happen that often. So honestly, part of the problem is they've been having issues with offense. Taking away the pitcher coming up to bunt, if you're lucky, like I... I, I to me, I, I think it makes it more exciting. And I did some history. I, I dug deep about the history of the DH. Do you, do you want to know what I learned? You dug okay. deep. Let me see if I dig what you dug. Okay. So this is not a new debate, the designated hitter. When the designated hitter in the American League became official, that was in 1973. That's when 24 Major League Baseball teams decided to vote to allow the American League to use a designated pinch hitter who could come to bat for the pitcher while still allowing the pitcher to stay in the game. The idea, though, of adding a DH to the baseball lineup had been suggested in 1906 by manager Connie Mack, 
1928 by the National League president at the time, John Hedler. However, it started even earlier than that, back in a time, Mark, that you enjoy, the 1890s. Ooh, when they rode penny farthings to the <laughs> to the polo grounds? That's right. It, exactly. Mm, now I'm coming around to this whole designated hitter word, you say? That is right. But a man named William Chase Temple, who was the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time, he's credited as the first. Now, I got a lot of this information from, let me, let me credit my sources here, History Channel Online, but most of this information comes from a site called Our Game, and it's a post, a 2016 post by John Horn, who is apparently the official historian of Major League Baseball. I don't know if that's changed since it's been a few years since this post. So anyway, came up with the idea back in 1891, William Chase Temple. Another gentleman, and you know his brother, James W. Spaulding, Oh, yeah, the, uh, the the brother of Albert Goodwill Spalding. That's right, who is not, not full of goodwill. He also suggested that the pitcher's spot be skipped so that eight men would, would bat in rotation. This debate began between Temple and Spalding in 1891. At the time, there was concern that the game's offense was declining. So you see history repeating itself. This is something that keeps happening, right? (laughs) I'm going to read you something. And despite the language, the fancy, fancy language from the 1890s, you can hear someone saying this today. This is actually from a December 19th, 1891 edition of Sporting Life. Every patron of the game is conversant with the other worthlessness of the average pitcher when he goes up to try and hit the ball. It is most invariably a trial and an unsuccessful one at that. If fortune does favor him with a base hit, it is 10 to 1 that he is so winded in getting to first or second base on it that when he goes into the box, it is a matter of very little difficulty to pound him all over creation. I think that's actually why I like pitchers hitting. Because I like like utter worthlessness Uh and getting pounded into creation. Well, it did go to a vote, the designated hitter at the time, but it lost seven to five right before the 1892 season. You remember the 1892 season, don't you? I wonder if the Brooklyn Superbas voted yes or no. I don't know. I couldn't find a breakdown of the vote. But then it came back up again in the 70s. Charlie Finley, our good friend Charlie Finley, owner of the Oakland A's, he was a big advocate for the designated hitter, arguing that a pinch hitter to replace a pitcher would add extra offensive punch that baseball needed to draw more fans. So again, we see the same thing happening again. Lack of offense, need to bring in more fans. At a joint meeting of the the leagues, the American League decided that they would implement the designated hitter. And at that point, actually, the American League wasn't doing as well as the National League. They lagged behind the National League in both scoring and attendance. So this was kind of a a way for them to pump up some more excitement in their in the league. The NL resisted the change, and for the first time, the two leagues played using different rules, as we know, and that's actually the baseball that you and I have known since we were kids. The DH rule, however, for the World Series, it only applied in the World Series, the DH rule, on in even-numbered years. So Initially, oh, yeah. it wasn't like it was where it would go back. Like if you were in American League City, you had the DH. If you were in National League City, you, you didn't play the DH. 
it was actually done on even numbered years until 1986. And then they just started doing what, what you know, we all know they would just go with whatever league's rules at where, where the home team was. Which <clears> was <throat> essentially you were watching an American league pitcher take his first at bats of the season in the world series, which again, I kind of like the storyline of that. Is he going to fail? Absolutely. Will he get the bunt down? Probably not. Will he get injured? Yeah, I've seen it happen. And that's not cool. (laughs) And yes, I get it. They're athletes. But you know what? The roles are so specialized, especially for a pitcher. More than any other position on the field, a pitcher is a really specialized position. Pitcher, catcher, two most specialized positions. Pitchers, they're fragile. They get, they get hurt all the time. They're throwing. Most of them are throwing in the high 90s. Some of them are throwing 100 miles an hour. You want that guy to get up and, and hit, like, risk him getting injured by either getting hit by a pitch or swinging and pulling out his back or breaking his foot trying to get to a base. It's happened. The game has changed. It's a very specialized position. Nobody cares about the gamesmanship. Or I should say, nobody under the age of 50 cares about that kind of strategy. They want to see chicks dig the long ball. People want to see offense. People want to see runs scored. They want to see action. They don't want to see the pitcher laying down a bunt. So I get it. Some people want to see a one nothing game in two hours and 20 minutes, but... I'm a lonely but, person. But, but they're addressing that in different ways, though, right? So we will get to that. There are other ways they plan on speeding up the game. And if you can speed up the game and have more offense, then it's a win-win situation. By the way, Mark, I, I know I'm going to break your new rule, but do you know who MLB's first DH was? Is it someone from the Yankees? It is. It is Ron Blomberg from the Yankees. You remember oh. Ron. <laughs> I do know the name for one reason and one reason alone because he was the first designated hitter. You know, it's funny because sometimes you look at the guys put in at the DH slot and they're 225 hitters, mm-hmm. which means that they aren't that good. But generally, it's power guys, right? You want to get the slugger in or you want to get a guy who can no longer run well enough to play in the field. That's where I think we we've seen the... The DH rule already this year give someone like Nelson Cruz mm-hmm. or Albert Pujols a new lease on life. Yeah, I mean, think of how, you know, we make fun of St. Louis fans, but honestly. Best I fans have, in baseball. I don't don't have it. I TM. don't have it. TM, there you go. I have nothing against St. Louis fans, whatever. Think of how nice it is that he can come back and end his career in St. Louis, a place where he's beloved, a place where he's had much of his career success because they allow the DH, although ironically enough, he just recently pitched. <laughs> yeah, one of the greatest hitters in the history of baseball is now at the age of 41, now a pitcher. So That's right. there you go, full circle. Out, guys, what's going on? Full circle. So for me, I like it. I'm happy to see it. I've been talking about this for years. I know baseball purists were like, how dare you think that? But honestly, I'm happy it's happened. Everyone will forget about it in another few months and no one will care. The perversity of the timing of this change happens to coincide with the advent of one of the greatest hitting pitchers in the history of our game. And that's Shohei Otani, who is really the first two-way player since Babe Ruth. Think of how long, though. How many years has it been between Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani? How many oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to ask how long the movie The Babe starring John Goodman oh, Well, no, was. I, I think that's longer, actually. It, it was longer. 
So yeah, it was a hundred years. So what? Hundred plus? A hundred years? I think it's probably a hundred plus. Tell that to a Cubs fan after the World Series, right? Well, That's it's a... but having to wait that long. Yeah, having to wait that long. How many people died before that <laughs> happened? Well, that's some so, yeah. interesting causality. Are you saying that millions of people would still be alive? Maybe, <laughs> Mark. Maybe. I don't know that there's been any truly life-threatening injuries from a pitcher trying to bat, but I, 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 I I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you have this one, Shohei Otani. And I think maybe the Angels, when they signed him, knew that the change was in the wind that that a pitcher could also DH and. Because it didn't make a lot of sense for an American League team to sign a pitcher who could hit. Mm-hmm. And I remember scratching my head thinking, well, what are they going to do? They're either going to have a an all-star pitcher or an all-star batter, but they can't really have both. And for the first couple of years, they didn't have either. They had a guy with a lot of potential. Then last year, we finally saw that the breakout season that we were all hoping for from the guy. But all of a sudden, he was hitting home runs and throwing shutouts. Now, of course, Shohei Otani can still do both. Things And there is a rule that really mm-hmm. benefits him. And well, also that Michael Lorenzen guy, maybe. Maybe. Although I can't tell you anything about Michael Lorenzen other than the fact he also pitches and hits for the Angels. The quote unquote Otani rule is a pitcher who bats in a game may continue as a batter in the DH slot, even after he leaves the game as a pitcher. So essentially there's two lineup spots. When Otani leaves the game in the sixth inning or seventh inning, he can stay in the game as a hitter because essentially he's also the DH. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone comes in to replace him, those privileges are not extended to the replacement in the game. But if someone that starts the game as both pitcher and DH can can continue in one of those roles for the rest of the game. So there you go. If you want to have your pitcher hit, you can still have your pitcher hit. But no one's going to do it. it. But there you go. You can. So you can whine all you want. But if somebody wants to do it, the rule is there. How many pitchers besides Otani are going to take advantage of this? So that just tells you all you need to know about why there's a universal DH now. Thank you for voicing one of the other rules of the podcast that needs to be put out there that, yes, I can whine all I want. And you will. You will. Yes. Well, I'm going to whine about something else. There's okay. another rule that's kind of named after somebody that you were poking around at. There's another rule, the Jacob Nottingham rule. Jacob Nottingham, not a household name, but he has his own rule. He was a catcher, first baseman, who spent most of last season shuttling back and forth between Seattle and Milwaukee as one of those teams that would place him on waivers and the other would claim him. So this poor guy, he was going between Milwaukee and Seattle. And as you know, that they are not close to each other because he was going back and forth so much between these two teams that, you know, one would drop him, the other would pick him up. They drop him again, the other would pick him up. The league made a provision where if a team has claimed a player on waivers already, it cannot do so again unless Every other club passes on him. Now, I don't know if that's going to help Jacob Nottingham, but it might. It was definitely a weird thing. And of course, it attracted a lot of attention, not because of Jacob Nottingham's amazing skills. I think he was considered a backup catcher for both teams. And I mean, everybody needs a backup catcher. So I can see why this situation was happening, right? Catchers get injured a lot. But essentially, the Brewers were treating the Mariners as their minor league team and vice versa. 
Yep. And it was like, can you hold this guy? We can't send him down because he's out of options. He can't go back to the actual AAA affiliate. And so I'll just go ahead and call shenanigans because I mm-hmm. think there were shenanigans. Yep. It felt a little like collusion to me, real honestly, between the two teams. It's like, well, one AL team, one NL team. Do me a favor and I'll scratch your back too. So there's now a rule. You can't do that. Yes, and I'm glad they made that rule. I do feel bad for these guys, but these these kind of fringe players that they're going back and forth. And these are the guys, I mean, not that baseball players, once they get to the major league level, are poor, but these are not your superstars who are making a ton of money. And just think of the disruption of this guy having to go shuttle between two cities that are not particularly near each other and two different leagues, quite honestly. So he's going from the National League to the American League and vice versa, having to, I mean, by, I'm sure he probably knew both pitching staffs by this point. The quality of life and just basically using players like their on-field product, right? Picking it off the shelf. Okay, I want it. No, I'm going to return it. Oh, you're going to return it? I'm going to take it then. Oh, you didn't didn't wear it? Are the tags still on it? Okay, great. I'll take it now. Jake, we appreciate your dedication to being part of the on-field product of two teams, if I may call you Jake. Mm -hmm. That actually feels like the sort of rule changes that pop up in the off-season from one year to another because somebody found a loophole and started abusing it. Yeah. Whereas the designated hitter thing is a massive change. And as you pointed out, it's 130 years in the making to get there. The Jacob Nottingham rule was maybe, <laughs> maybe a couple of weeks in the making. It's like, yeah, don't do not do that anymore, you guys. Like, that's kind of not cool. You want to talk about ghosts? Yeah. Some spooky stuff? About, I want to talk about things that haunt me, which is this weird ghost runner thing. Which, by the way, ghost runner doesn't make sense because a ghost runner would imply that it's not that something's not actually there. <laughs> but we'll get into this okay. because we are talking about the weird extra innings rule that was implemented during the 2020 COVID shortened mm-hmm. season for practical reasons. I'll admit it. Essentially, when a game goes into extra innings, for any listener that doesn't automatically remember, a game goes into extra innings because it's tied. And so you go into a tiebreaker protocol. Well, you do now as of 2020. And that means putting a runner on second to start the inning. So you now have a runner in scoring position, which means that the reliever can't just focus on getting the three batters out. He now has somebody literally looming behind him, getting ready to break the game open. I think it is a ghost runner for any person that ever played kickball or stickball or whatever and had ghost runners when you were only playing with uh, three of your besties. But the person that takes second base is the person that made the last out in the previous inning who died. (laughs) You know what? Fine. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Who died a grisly death either by popping out, grounding into a double play, striking out, who knows? And that's a weird designation to say, oh, well, you couldn't do anything in the last inning. We're going to reward you with possibly putting you in a position to score the the game-winning run. So it's a ghost run. Okay, fine. I'll concede that to you. Want to know something else that's spooky about this rule? This rule was killed in 2021 and brought back from the dead for one more season. So it's a zombie runner. Well, it's a zombie rule. I found a number of things from February and March of 2022 that said that the extra innings ghost runner, runner on second, whatever you want to call it, that that provision that was born of the COVID shortened season, it ran for 2020 and 2021, but it was done. And they were going to say no more. 
then I'm listening to a game on the radio, like the first week. It's like, well, it's the 10th inning. And now on second base, we're starting the inning. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this rule was dead. They brought it back. It's alive. They brought this rule back with just like a couple days to spare before the first game. Of course, as we've already mentioned, MLB doesn't exactly tell you stuff. It's just like, well, it's just the way it is. Like, no, you said that rule was void. It's like, no, it's back. This is another one of these player protection things because spring training was truncated. Mm -hmm. Nobody exactly came into opening day in their best fighting form because players didn't know if there was going to be a season, let alone when it was going to start. I think what they're trying to do with this is to keep the games from running too long. And by putting a runner in scoring position, it just gooses the extra innings, the t- the tiebreaker situations. It didn't make a ton of sense in the first place because in 2020, they were like, well, because we're, we're trying to manage the risk of COVID and things like that. And you've had players on a field for three or four hours already, but now you want the 10th inning to go faster because COVID is more contagious in the fourth hour and first minute. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they were just, it was an excuse to try it out. My guess is this is something that they've been thinking about. I kind of neutral on this one. I don't hate it, don't love it. I understand it actually more for this season than last season because, you know, pitchers didn't have enough time to get themselves up to speed and pitchers were not pitching the normal amount of innings they would if they went through a full spring training. So to me, that makes sense to implement it this year because you're afraid you're going to blow through bullpens, blow through arms. So I get that. Honestly, I really am neutral on it. It doesn't bother me. I wasn't that upset by it when it appeared and I will equally be not upset when it goes away. So yeah, we'll see. I don't like it because it just feels a little league. It feels like the sort of stuff that, like I said, kids do when they're short by several players on their team. And it's like, well, I'm putting a ghost runner on third and then I'm going to go back and do another at bat. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a little little league. I don't really care one way or the other about this rule and it looks like it's probably going to go away. So yeah, I think there's an expiration date and who knows, maybe this is the first time that that weird 45 day provision of management players and an umpire will meet to say, hey, you know what? When we get into the postseason hunt, let's not do the ghost runner thing. I doubt it. I doubt it, yeah. You've got something that's not exactly an official rule, but it certainly impacts the OFP of the game. Yes, I do want to talk about ads on Major League Baseball players' uniforms because that's coming. For me, this is really more about aesthetics and how much I hate advertising just kind of slapped onto things. Now, this is not happening until 2023. And there's already someone lined up for one of the teams. The Padres have already lined up Motorola to be an advertising patch on the Padres uniforms. In 2023, MLB teams will be able to put ad patches on their players' jerseys and their helmets. And you think, oh, no big deal, right? Like Nike, giant swoosh already on the players' uniforms. You've seen it with New Era has their giant logo on the hats, but they actually are making those hats. They make the hats, Nike makes the uniform. So, okay, you want to put your logo on it, makes sense to me. But you also like soccer and you've been to a few matches with the Seattle Xboxes. The Seattle Xboxes are actually, it's the Seattle Zulilies at this point, so. I might have gotten them confused with the Los Angeles Herbal Lifes. Oh, the Herbal Life is one of my favorites. But I honestly, that's one of the things I dislike. And that's across 
professional soccer, not just in the States, this has been long going in, in Europe, that their uniforms are sponsored. So, you know, you'll see bet 100 on it or whatever. I don't like it. I really don't. I, I, I think it's a money grab. It doesn't bring anything particular to the sport except for even more money. It has nothing to do with improving the product on the field. MLB has done it during like the London series and the Japan series. They put advertisements on the helmets and on the, on the jerseys. I don't buy jerseys, full disclosure. So I'm trying to think if I've ever bought a sports jersey, I might actually have a Seahawks jersey. Now that I think of it, doesn't have advertisement on it. I thought um, you had a Ron Blomberg jersey. I do have a Ron Blomberg jersey. I've worn jerseys, <laughs> so I do have those. I do have a Jeter one. I have a Judge one. But if I am buying a jersey, I don't want your ads all over a jersey. I'm buying it to support a team, and I don't want your Motorola, your Herbalife, your whatever advertisement on my jersey because that has nothing to do with my rooting interests and everything to do with these teams making all this money off of this advertising. The Padres, I saw it. It's tastefully done. It matches, you know, it's the same color. It's the same brown Padres color, the Motorola logo. It will be affected by if you're a right-handed or left-handed hitter, where the patch will go. I don't know how it's going to work if you're a switch hitter. Are you going to have to change your jersey? Are you going to have to have it on both sleeves? So don't know what happens if you're a switch hitter and you decide to bat from the left side after you've been batting from the right side all game. We knew it was coming. It's not surprising, but I hate it. Can't say that I love it because, I don't know, I wear band t-shirts. I wear t-shirts that support my favorite team. And I guess that's technically logo wear too. But yeah, I don't want to spend money myself so that I can get Motorola swag to wear on my arm. Right. Is baseball hurting for cash? I mean, that's the thing. And I think a number of articles when I was doing my research, they're not sure how, where, how this money is getting divvied up. And then I just kind of saw this little throwaway line that MLB and the union agree that player commercial deals in place as of the start of the 2022 season cannot be challenged by the league or its teams. But what is going to happen now when individual players might be the spokesperson for the advertiser's competition? And that could certainly happen with trades, right? Like, how are you going to deal with that? It is going to bring up these little things. These guys are superstars. They sign endorsement deals. What happens if they go to another city? Like what happens to that deal? How, how are they going to work that out? I'm sure greater minds than mine are thinking about that, meaning attorneys. Just from a, an aesthetic basis, like I don't want to see classic uniforms, like not just the Yankees. I don't want to see the Dodgers, even the Red Sox, Rockies, they can have it. The Diamondbacks, they can have it. Those classic uniforms, I don't want to see advertisements on them. I need to pause. We've just gotten a, a message from Motorola's vice president of on-field product <laughs> and brand ambassador. And he would like us to cut this segment and mention that Bad Hops is brought to you by the Motorola Razor, the last good flip phone ever made. <laughs> All right. Please send us free razors, uh, Motorola. That would be awesome. Sure. Or Gillette. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Coming inevitable... Up. Yeah. Right. We've done advertising, which is what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Mm -hmm. What about gambling? Oh, yeah. But gambling's already taken over baseball. It's taken over the sports channels as well. ESPN now on SportsCenter, they will talk about the, the betting line on things. Fox Sports will put things up on the screen, actually detailing proposition bets mid-game about, well, what's going to happen next and things like that. Betting on baseball has been around since baseball. Right. And as somebody that goes to Las Vegas occasionally and enjoys betting on sports, it's great. But church and state is no longer separate. Yeah, It's now coming into the game 
We recently talked about Pete Rose betting on baseball as one of the ickiest things that's happened during our lifetimes. Well, now betting's everywhere. It's only going to get more pervasive. The Washington Nationals now have a sports book in their stadium. The Cubs have approval to open one at Wrigley Field. The Yankees and a coalition of media partners are pushing for the same in New York. The speculation, I found this in Forbes, if gambling is legal in the state, there will be sports betting at the stadium with probably in a matter of like a couple of years. I just feel like it takes some of the joy out of it. And like Mm -hmm. I said, I like betting on games. It makes things fun, but I also like having it at arm's length. I don't want it rubbed in my face. I don't want to treat a baseball game like going to the horse track. Mm -hmm. And saying, oh, you know, this is interesting. The guy's got a no-hitter. You know what? I'll be right back. I want to make sure and see, like, what the line is. If I can still get in on on the action on this no-hitter. It's like holding your phone up and filming an entire concert on your phone. You're now no longer really there. You're in this Mm -hmm. weird liminal space. Ultimately, I think the influence is just going to make the game rattier. So you're going to explain to a kid, it's like, well, you're not old enough to gamble. But I am certainly going to gamble on this. I've already got, like, $50 riding on the team today. I know gambling is a thing that a lot of people do. Even when I go to Vegas, I tend to not be a gambler. I, I, it's just not something that interests me. It just feels icky. And I think, you know, you're in a situation where you're going to see someone who's like incredibly drunk going into a sports bet, like, mm, you know, I think the Reds can win the World Series <laughs> or I think they're going to win by, you know, 12. I don't know. However, it is that you bet because I obviously don't bet and I don't. I, so I don't really understand it. I don't know. I just, I find it kind of icky. Europe, actually, they've been doing it like, because I, I, I do watch professional soccer in, in Europe. And I will say that, you know, they've been doing this for a while and a lot of the teams are actually sponsored by sports booking companies. So, I mean, I guess it's inevitable that it was going to happen, but I don't like it. There's something predatory about it as well. I know people can tell me I'm nanny state and people should have have the right to blow away all their money on something stupid but there's just something about it that i don't like it at all well and at some point and you, you know you read these stories about pro golfers or like someone like michael jordan that ends up losing millions of dollars gambling because they want to win right you, you you take that win by all means mindset and you let that person start gambling, at some point, a player is going to get in that mix. We're heading for another scandal. I do not enjoy someone that's involved in the on-field product, influencing said product to benefit a, a subset that might just be that player. There's only so much heartbreak you can take, right? When your favorite thing becomes diminished or becomes corrupted. Yeah, I, I'm not loving this one. It's, you know, it's a total money grab, like the advertisements on on jerseys. And it's just like more money for billionaires. I know a lot of people will disagree with me. A lot of people enjoy gambling. You know, that's fine. You want to go to Vegas. You want to go to Atlantic City. That's great. But now it just, things become too easy um, as opposed to it being something special and something you do every now and then. If you're doing this every day, it just there's there's a potential for so many things to go wrong, especially as you said with players. There will be a scandal. There will definitely be a scandal if gambling is very easy and pervasive at stadiums. There will be something that's probably even worse than Pete Rose. And then that's gonna come up, right? Pete, that the whole Pete Rose thing will come up again. So as we've discussed, none of these rules are permanent. Things change, but what's gonna undo gambling will be a scandal that will deeply harm the game. 
Let's take a quick break and we okay. will be right back to talk about what's next. Hey, we're back and we're going to talk a little bit more about what we're considering some of the smaller changes in 22 and then a forecast of some of the big things that are going to be happening in 2023. In 2022, this is a an evolution of a rule that we've seen recently. I, th- I think it was actually last year that there was a league crackdown on foreign substances on baseballs, especially sticky stuff that makes the ball spin faster and therefore make it harder to hit. There were more inspections of baseballs in 2021. There is now, umpires have a new tool, which is hand inspections. I know I would fail because I had some flaming hot Cheetos for lunch. And I, <laughs> I still, what is that um, foreign substance on your fingertips? I, I, I still have some unnaturally red fingertips. I don't think that it affects the spin rate of my pitches. Am I? Uh, we did see recently an umpire who, as it turns out, was clearly out to get Madison Bumgarner for any number of reasons. <laughs> But he held Baumgartner's hand during a game and sort of massaged his palm while looking at Baumgartner in the eyes. Weirdly, the umpire was not Joe Buck, (laughs) (laughs) who we all know kind of has a thing for for Madison Baumgartner. I mean, he should have bought him dinner first. Based on the video that I saw there, absolutely. It was all eye contact and there was no actual looking at the hand. I guess if you're looking for... If, you, if the inspection is trying to find sticky stuff on a hand, you only need fingertips. You don't actually need eyes for that. So yeah, hand inspections are a new thing. <laughs> hand, not eye inspection, though. Now, we talked about our good friends, the Houston Astros, recently. The most, should be the most plunked team in baseball. Born out of the sign-stealing scandal from a few seasons back, pitchers and catchers now are allowed to have electronic devices on the field. So it's another on-field product. They are able to essentially text each other. You're talking about Pitchcom? Yes, Pitchcom. So Pitchcom, yeah. So it's basically, so there's, because a lot of teams are using it right now. And a lot of teams were using it during during spring training. It's the pitcher, it's the catcher is involved. And I think two of the infielders, one of the, and the center fielders. So it's to go with positioning and and what pitches to throw instead of hand signals. And again, I'm kind of, you know, as a romantic purist about the game, I kind of like the whole like two fingers for a changeup, one finger for a fastball. You know what? If the signs are going to get stolen, sure, fine. So anyway, they now have a little text toy that they, they can electronically send signals to, to teammates. Although I believe, do I get to talk about Yankees? Sure. If, you, if you'd like. Recently in a, in a Yankees game, somebody was asking a pitcher if they felt that the gameplay went any different with that the Pitchcom device. And the pitcher replied, I don't know because I left it in the dugout. That was Luis Severino. He, absolutely, he accidentally left it. <laughs> Again, the reason they're doing this is to speed up the game. No more seven inning double headers. Double header, if there will be double headers. And there are quite a few scheduled this year because we missed two weeks. Mm-hmm. And they're still trying to keep everything in October for the postseason, which means that some teams will actually be doubling up. Again, this was a COVID thing. Let's get the players on and off the field as quickly as possible. If it's a, if we have to play a doubleheader, it's going to be seven innings in each game. We're back to nine innings. I'm for it. That's You play nine innings to win a baseball game. I'm totally for it, too. I feel like I'm getting cheated out of baseball if there's only seven. 
There's a new thing for service time incentives. I would call this the Chris Bryant rule. When Chris Bryant was a about to start his rookie season for the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago Cubs just declined to bring him up because they would have to pay him more if he played a whole season. Therefore, denying Cubs fans around the world a chance to see potentially the best player on the team for the first six weeks of the season. So there's now something called a prospect promotion incentive. Now, Jackie, I don't know if this PPI will get you more excited about the (laughs) on-field product. I mean, what doesn't? A prospect promotion incentive, which I feel like that's part of like the COVID relief (laughs) plan. A team, if they bring up a rookie eligible player early on in the season, they will end up getting some extra draft picks out of the deal. It's very complicated and it looks like it was designed by lawyers for lawyers. Hopefully the outcome is that if there's somebody that you've been hoping to see on opening day that you've been hearing about for a couple of years coming up through the system, I think a team will benefit from bringing that player up to start the season with the big boys. As opposed to holding them back until June. For budget reasons. Exactly. As opposed to giving these guys their time and also giving them a full season so that they can play to their potential instead of having them miss the first couple of months. Speaking of contractual stuff, a player can only be sent to the minors five times per season. And I think we see that especially with younger players or sort of B-list players. It's essentially just a weird personnel management tool and it's got to suck for the player and it doesn't make the game any more interesting if you have a guy that you kind of like to see pitch and then he disappears and then he comes back and there's just not a lot of continuity there. The last thing I have that is effective now Mm -hmm. It's still a little bit of a mystery. We alluded to this earlier, the trade deadline, which used to be the last day of July, unless there was waiver claims. And I won't even get into that because that's a whole nother blah, blah, blah. It is a lot of blah, blah. Instead of the last day of July, the trade deadline is now, we don't know. Whenever we say it is. (laughs) It seems like MLB is up to a bunch of top secret shenanigans. I think they are because... The commissioner can decide the final date, and it will be somewhere between July 28th and August 3rd this year. I have no idea what impacts that. And I suppose that it is another one of these things that's probably going to game the system to help a team that might be on the cusp. It's like, well, let them play a little bit longer. I don't get it. It's like a five-day window of a trade deadline. But if I was a GM... I don't know how to operate. Do you assume that it's the earlier deadline? Do you get it over with? Or do you wait and hope that you can get something down to the wire? It's just weird. It is weird. It's definitely weird. That's my review of what's new in 22. Tell us what we're going to see in 23. Okay. Well, you talked about big changes. And one of the big changes is there's going to be bigger bases. Oh, my God. (laughs) My dream has come true. That's right. It's a big, big base. Like Not, big chonky bases, a big big chonky bases. Yes. So, so because the league is trying to make things more exciting, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. They're, chonky bases is what makes bases? the game more exciting. What they're saying, in theory, they're saying it could prevent injuries. I don't know how. They do think it will lead to an increase in stolen base attempts because the bases are bigger. But I do think. This is probably the reason because of the 
them instituting replay, which I think is great because you should get the call right on the field. And the game is so fast, it's hard for the human eye to pick up things at times. There are a lot of replays. I mean, you will see it. It's like kind of sort of went off the base or they got pushed off the base. This will allegedly make it harder for the runner to overshoot the base and get pushed off the base or, you know, momentum taking them off the base because it will be bigger. So that's the rationale behind the bigger bases. Honestly, I have no idea. You had texted me a photo of it and you were like, what is this? I do not like this. This makes me angry. <laughs> this is this is every text I send you. It is. It is. Where I was like, I don't know, it kind of looks cool, but I'll be interested to see like how that affects the game. They're, they're using it in the minor leagues right now. So they obviously, I mean, and that's what normally happens is they test these things out in the minor leagues before the major leagues. And I guess that's, it's working. The other thing that I'm sure everyone has heard and talked about, they're going to ban the shift. They're finally going to ban the shift, at least the extreme shifts, because I think you'll be allowed to shift a little bit, but not these extreme shifts. Shifts. I think everyone thought that at some point over the past decade that the hitters would adjust to the shift and they don't. So, you know, we're left with three true outcome hitters that strike out home run or walk, but will not bunt, even though that entire side of left field is like on the third base side is opened up to them. So that's fine. They'll bound the shift. They think it will create more offense and poor Mark Teixeira and a lot of other guys. That, Kyle that, Seager. Yeah. Kyle Seager. Yeah. Kyle, like all those left-handed hitters that their careers kind of, they started off strong and then the shift started while they were mid-career and kind of like tanked their averages and the hits they got. But at the same time, use the opposite feel, lay down a bunt, put it in their head, never happened. So it's going away. RIP shift. The other thing that's changing is the draft lottery. The first six picks in each year's draft will be awarded via a lottery beginning in 2023. The 18 teams that do not qualify for the postseason will be eligible for the lottery with odds assigned in reverse order of winning percentage. The odds for receiving the number one selection, the worst record, 16.5%, they go from there. Instead of having a salary cap and a salary floor, they're going to, this is how they're going to address that. So they're hoping it will prevent teams from tanking or having these really low budget teams where you have like a team that's essentially making, the entire team is making the same salary as Fernando Tatis Jr. is. If they can stop that, because, you know, at the end of the day, these are billionaires. They can afford to put a quality product on the field. They can afford to pay good players and bring them in. We'll see what happens in Oakland, though. <laughs> they probably won't, probably won't be a team in Oakland after this. So, yeah, so the draft lottery is it will be changing. What else is on deck? Pitch clock. The uh, pitch clock model is a mess. And they're, I think what's happening is that they're trying out a lot of different pitch clocks mm -hmm. in the minor leagues right now. As you, as you mentioned earlier, that, that's the incubator for change. No matter like what the timing is on it, is to try to get the pitcher to get the ball in play faster. Right, right. And I thought they were doing something with timing. Don't we like have, oh no, it's mound visits. That's what we had, the mound visits. <laughs> yes. If you watch tennis, which I know you don't, but some people who listen might, right now there is actually, there's a clock for players when they're serving um, that they're supposed to do within a certain period of time. And I will say that the rules get bent for some of the big boys. So some of the top seeded players like Nadal and Djokovic, like they don't get called when they're taking a little bit too much time. So this will be interesting to see how this plays out and maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. 
They think from what I've read that it will speed the game. So some of the things that I've enjoyed about the game, which is that cat and mouse between the pitcher and the hitter that obviously makes the game slower, that'll take that away. But it will also, they're hoping it'll create more offense because the pitcher won't won't have as much time to recover, especially if there are men on base, although they're supposed to let a little bit more time between pitches when there's men on base. From what I've been reading, and there is not a conclusive model, and I think that's going to be next year's term paper that they finish in mid-March and then implement immediately. There are some minor league games that the, the average time of these games is decreasing somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes. I think this might end up being the most interesting thing because games are boring when it's four and a half hours and and nothing happens. For sure. If you can get a game to like three hours, three and a half hours, then yeah, maybe it'll be a little more exciting. Maybe you can keep people's attention. Maybe you can get people home before midnight. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential benefits, but then we also have to see so we've talked about that there's a timer, but then we don't talk about what the penalty is because nobody knows. Nobody knows. Does that mean that person gets to take base? Does it become an automatic ball if they do that? Like, I don't know. So more to come on that. The other thing that's happening is there's going to be schedule reconstruction for a more well-balanced schedule. And this has been talked about a lot. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this because a part of the problem came when when interleague play started, right? So they they wanted to get in as much interleague play as possible and create those Padres, Mariners, rivalries that we all we love oh, so much. Jackie, can you imagine the greatest rivalry in baseball, Padres and Mariners, but with big bases? Oh, look out. Ooh, I'm looking chef's forward. Kiss. I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, Chef's Kiss indeed. Honestly, I think it does need to happen. I mean, as you know, I, I watch the Yankees and I feel like they've played the same three teams for the past two months. Baltimore, Toronto, and the White Sox. I feel like, you know, these, so it's the same, especially if you're playing your division rivals, like they have not played Tampa Bay yet. And we're mid-May right now. So, and also there are teams that they won't play. So I think it'll be more interesting to, to the fans to see your team play different teams across the board. I think it will also help balance it so that you're not consistently playing your division rivals. And honestly, I think it makes the game more interesting when you get to playoff time and you have you have wild cards. And since we've added more, more teams to the in more wild card spots. So I'm looking forward to a more balanced schedule. I feel like when I look at the schedules, I'm like, really? Like, especially here, you know, Mark and I live in Seattle and we're like, oh, oh, the Mariners are playing the Angels again and the Astros again. And, you know, and as much as I love to see Otani pitch, it's like, I don't need to see them constantly playing the Angels and the Astros. It's boring. I want to see some other teams come to town. So that'll be fun. So ideally, everybody plays everybody. We will yeah. see if that actually is true because I think well, they will favor rivalries like Royals, Cardinals, Yankees, Mets, Mariners, Padres, Mariners, <laughs> Padres with chonky bases. That's right. It's going to be a good time. Good time. And now the automatic ball and strike system. You, I, I thought that was going to happen next year. I see you have it listed as 2024. I think again that's probably because they're in demo mode in the the minor leagues. And they are using it in the minor leagues right now. Yeah, I think this is where, so we've gone through this massive lockout in the offseason this year between players and and owners, but I feel like the umpire union will strike Mm. back in this one. Bring on the robo-umps. You know how I feel about this. I've watched so many bad calls across the board because I do watch a lot of different teams because I'll I'll go, it's just bad across the board. I saw, I forget, it might have been a Cubs game or a Milwaukee game 
where the home plate umpire called a foul tip to the glove. It wasn't even close. They showed it in slow motion. The bat didn't touch the ball at all. And this poor guy got called out on strikes. It wasn't even close. Let's do a little blue sky thinking here, because I, again, this is probably also inevitable. If sure. we have robot umpires, who would you like to see as the first robot umpire? You mean like the Terminator or something like that? Are we talking about like Uncanny Valley here where they're actually looking like like people? Well, so do you want Terminator or T2? Maybe a Transformer. That would be more fun. Transformer would be good. I was thinking the the robot, the pizza bot from the Little Caesars commercials. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. The one that right before he dies says, tell my wife, bleep bloop. That's dark. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why I like pizza bot. I guess so. Yeah, no, I haven't given it any thought what it would okay. be, but it would be really cool if it was like some of those Japanese robots where they kind of look like people and they kind of move like they're, <laughs> they look yes. sort of real, but not really. Yeah, those creep me out. And maybe on like May the 4th, so they start, they can have R2-D2 behind the plate or C3. That, that would be awesome. Yeah. Maybe we should throw that out to our listeners. If we do have robot umpires, what robot would you like to see out there? It could be a, a murder bot, a pizza bot, or it could be a, a lovable one, like a robot dog from Japan. Oh, I like that. Robot dog. Let's do it. Right. That's a positive note to end on. Cute little robo dog. I would like to thank and cite some sources here. Sports Illustrated, especially Tom Verducci's overview article. That was a good uh, article. Yeah, yardbarker.com, Washington Post, and Forbes. You would have thought that there would only be one place to look for all this information, MLB.com. Nope. Nope. Oh, and I forgot to mention my favorite rule that came up this year, personal opinion, but I love the fact that you have to be vaccinated to play in Toronto. <laughs> that gives them an advantage for all you guys who aren't uh, vaccinated. Uh, it definitely gives Toronto an advantage, but... I don't know. All my guys were vaccinated, so. Even the complainers, and they seem to be hitting just fine. That's right. The fans are heading home, the grounds crew is on the field, and we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops on Insta and everywhere else. You know what, Jackie? This episode rules. I'm just going to leave that alone. Fair enough. Bye. Bye.